0: Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. So uh, there are different types of people that check out our Sunday morning online services. Uh, There are folks who are traveling and on vacation We want to say hello to you. Uh, That that number kind of increases naturally over the summer. And so wherever you're at camping or uh, in a hotel or traveling, uh, we just want to say hello and we miss you. Uh, If you are checking out the church, welcome. A lot of people who uh, start coming to Faith on Hill have said, in fact, the majority of people who started coming to Faith on Hill in the last year or two have said that they were checking the church out online for a while uh, before they showed up on a Sunday morning. So welcome. We are glad that you are here. And uh, if you have any questions, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. If you do show up on a Sunday morning live, it's pretty simple and straightforward. You come on in. Uh, There's coffee. Somebody will hand you a copy of the the sermon notes for the morning. Uh, And then kids go to kids' church after a couple songs. And then we hang out. We have our Bible study. We pray together. We close the time with worship through song. Uh, And then, uh, of course, throughout the week we meet in small groups. Uh, Many of the small groups are on their summer break, but not all of them. So you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Uh, If you have a Bible... We are in the book of Revelation. We're going to finish the book of the Revelation today. We're going to look at chapters 21 and chapter 22. So let's open our Bibles and study God's word together. Well, last week, we ended with the beginning of chapter 21. Um, And that's if for no other reason than I kind of wanted to leave us with an upbeat note because chapter 20 ends uh, with those who reject Jesus receiving their final judgment. Chapter 21 begins with those who have accepted the free gift of God receiving their eternal reward. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy. And true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So as we said last week, heaven is a a real place. When we think of heaven, what we're speaking of really, we should use the word eternity. Uh, Heaven is not some place where people sit around on a cloud and play harps, dressed in robes. Heaven is a real place. This new heaven, this new earth, the new Jerusalem, a real place, a place where people will be and have purpose and have uh, experienced the fullness of the life that God meant for his creation. No more mourning, no more tears, refreshing, rejoicing. Now this is contracted with those contrasted those who are victorious. How are they victorious? We are victorious because we stand firm in our faith and our testimony that Jesus is the risen Savior. We are victorious because Jesus was victorious over sin and death on our behalf. This is contrasted in verse 8 with those who are unbelieving. The vile, the murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts. This isn't God saying, if you do one little thing wrong, you don't get into heaven. What this is, is a broad picture of what it looks like to be a person who rejects Jesus, maybe not totally, but in general terms. The unbelieving, those who have no faith, those who reject the free gift of God, the vile, those who are just given over to sin, to lawlessness, to rebellion. And this exists all over the place. All over the place. You know, you could go from you know the warlord. You know somewhere in, in in another part of the world, the warlord who is imprisoning children and and uh, dis- burning villages and causing suffering and pain. You know the um, the the corrupt politician, the greedy, those who seek themselves, or or maybe the. Uh, you know, the person in our culture, in our society of, of good standing, of good moral standing, and then you find out that behind the scenes, they've been a terrible person. Um, you know, you could listen to podcasts where where people talk about just realities of our, our culture and our world. I was listening to a podcast um, where a guy was talking about how in his 20s, he had gone hitchhiking, and as he hitchhiked across America, he said there was this point about 10 minutes from wherever, if it was kind of known, like, I'll give you a ride to this place. And it was like, oh, it'll be about 10 minutes. He said, I knew there was a decent chance that they were going to tell me something. And what he said is, there was this weird thing that happened that not infrequently people would start to kind of say things they never told anybody else, because here's a person who's on the fringe of society at least to them right this person went on to be a very very successful person but they they at that time are in their 20s they're young they're hitchhiking so they're viewed as on the fringe of society here's somebody it's not a threat to me socially economically they don't live near me they don't know who I am and so they said people would just tell them stuff tell them shocking things things that you'd go wait what and Um, you know, about things they had done, you know, horrible things they had thought about doing. You find out that the person, you know, like the BTK killer is this notorious serial killer. Turned out he was the dog catcher. He was the town, he was just like a normal guy, seeming upright, went to church every Sunday, and he was this horrific serial killer. You know, we, we hear story after story up where I'm, you know, grew up in the Seattle area and, and kind of in the neighborhoods I grew up in. You know, there was a, a elementary school principal who was found uh, coked up and paranoid and uh, he said, oh, my goodness. But then they weren't fired for like days and they went to school the next Monday and had responsibility and oversight of children. What I'm saying is, there's these these general marks are the marks of people who reject Jesus. Does that mean that somebody can't love Jesus and then just go in a bad season? No, I don't think that's true. I don't think, um, I don't think that uh, we're talking about individual actions. What we're talking about is general directions, general hallmarks of somebody's life. If somebody has been walking with Jesus for a long time. You know, I think it's reasonable to say if if we have genuine faith, does our life look like it? And if somebody says, "Oh, I have great faith. I believe in God," and how? Oh, I've been a Christian for my whole life. And then you go, "Yeah, man," but nothing in your life matches what you're saying. I think it would be normal for somebody to say, like, "I don't know if that's true." I mean, let's say that somebody just like talks about you know University of Oregon football over and over, and they love University of Oregon football, but then they never go to a game. And they are always wearing, you know, like other teams gear. You know, why do you have that U-Dub sweatshirt? Why do you have that uh, OSU hat? Oh, I just like the color. Well, it doesn't seem like you're uh, an organ fan then. There's, there's a disconnect. Um, and, and I think there's this idea of, of Jesus saying, look, these are the, the marks. Those who lack faith, those who reject God, those who are given over to immorality, the murderers. And you say, well, I'm not a murderer. Well, first of all, Jesus told us that if we have hate in our heart, that is the same as murder. But there's murder all over this world that you don't even know about. And war and and things that we do, even things our government does. You know, children that have been killed in the last couple years by drone strikes and that hasn't been widely reported in the media. Those who are sexually immoral. Now, We don't talk a lot about this, and I don't mean that we're hiding from it. Uh, My view is this, and we're actually, uh, this is a spoiler alert, but in in a couple weeks on the Starting Points podcast, we're going to talk about the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And that is a book that is totally uh, about romance, love, and sex. So God created sex. God designed human beings to be sexually active within a context. And I believe our society is totally broken. And so what happens, though, is preachers choose one form of sexual brokenness and just zone in on that, harp in on that, and then people go, oh, they're those Christians again, harping on this thing or harping on this or that thing. You know, you could say, oh, well, we don't do that. We're upstanding people. And then you find there's a whole different type of brokenness that's going on. So I'm just going to say, in general, people are given over to unbelief. People are given over to, they're vile, so they're given over to just general uh, sin. People are murderers, whether they actually are murderers, whether they contribute to violence, whether they're just violent people, whether they're hateful people in their own hearts. Racism is murder. Uh, Unforgiveness and hate is murder. These are all covered under this big, broad canopy. The sexually immoral, uh, you know, whatever that form of brokenness that takes, Those who practice magic arts, you might say, well, that's, you know, ancient whatever. I've spoken about this before, but I know people who are incredibly educated who would fall under this category. I know people who have master's degrees and doctorates and not from like kook universities or or diploma mills, but from like legitimate institutions who would fall under the category of practicing magic arts. The idolaters, those who worship idols. In many parts of the world, people still worship idols in a serious way. It's not like when you go to like the local pho restaurant and they have the little Buddha with some fruit in front, just a cultural thing, or it's no big deal. It's like legit idol worship. And in America, maybe we don't have statues of stone that we worship, but we worship people. We worship celebrity. We worship ourselves. We worship career. We worship whatever. And the liars. Ooh they will be consigned to the lake of fire, the lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All of us, I think, could find something on that list that we would be guilty of, and we rejoice that Jesus has forgiven our sins. I have done nothing to earn it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Titus chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, "'It is not of works of righteousness that I have done. "'It is according to God's mercies that he has saved me.'" I cannot boast. I have not done anything to deserve the grace of God. Now, all those who believe are invited in. And one of the seven angels, verse nine, who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came to me and said, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, this is something I noticed. The angel isn't just this allegorical kind of representative thing, you know, we've read, as we've read through the book of the Revelation, there were seven angels who had, uh, you know, seven uh, trumpets, and there were seven angels who had seven bowls of wrath, and we're like, oh, this is just kind of this metaphorical thing. Here, this angel is described as a real being who's doing real things. Something to think about. I think we have this tendency, and, and what happened is around 300 AD, and maybe a little bit earlier, the allegorical view of looking at the Bible took hold in the church. And it started with this guy, Origen, who's a really interesting character in church history, a lot of good, some bad. Um, I have respect for him, but he viewed everything through an allegorical, metaphorical lens, the entire scripture. And that took dominance for over a 1,000 years, like 1,500 years of church history. And then about 200 years ago, people started taking the Bible far more seriously. What's the literal meaning? What was the literal intent? Who was the author and who were they speaking to? And that challenged thousands, you know, over a thousand years of allegorical interpretation. If you see revelation as only a metaphor, as only a word picture, as only an allegory, then you miss that here John is describing this angel as a real being doing real things. And he says, hey, come, I'm going to show you this thing, the, the the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God. So this is what we've seen. He's just seeing it from a different view. And it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like a very precious jewel. Like Jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and twelve angels at the gate. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And there were three gates to the east, three to the north, three to the south, and three to the west. So on each side of this cute, you know, kind of square-shaped, walled city, there are three gates per side. Three times four is twelve. Each one had a name of one of the twelve tribes of Israel. Then, the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on each them was written the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. What we see here is this gathering in. This city is built on both the old covenant and the old testament that we received. The 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God are there and the foundations have the 12 apostles and the gospel and the testimony of the apostles is received and foundational and the church is there. Some people try to figure out, uh, you know, all these like details about, you know, which apostle because there was Judas, so he's not. So is it Matthias or is it Paul? Which of the twelve tribes? Because there are different lists of the twelve tribes in different parts of the Old Testament. I don't care. The bigger picture is that the people of Israel and the church are together with God. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. And it measured, uh, he measured the city and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. So it's a cube. Um, 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles or about 2,200 kilometers if that's your thing. It would be if you took Seattle, Washington, and you drove east to Minnesota. That's how wide it is. And then from Seattle down to about LA. And then you have your length and your width. And then imagine going up. There is great debate. Is this a literal measurement of the New Jerusalem, or is this metaphorically just showing it is wide and it is massive? Personally, I am of the opinion that it is a literal measurement size because we're talking about a brand new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. There is no way, I've actually looked into this, but there's no way that the current earth could support such a structure. It's it's physically impossible. But in a new creation scenario, I have no trouble with the idea that God is creating a new situation and then, yes, it could be supported. Okay. So this idea is this massive city that can contain all of God's people easily. The angel angel measured the length of the walls using human measurements, and it was 144 cubits thick. So it's it's massive, it's big, it is strong. What John is presenting here is this idea that God's uh, plan for us eternally is intentional, it's well-designed, it's built to last, it's built to bring in everyone who will believe, the wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite. the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethysts. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each was made of a single pearl, the great city or sorry, the great street of the city was gold as pure as transparent glass. Now, what's funny to me and interesting is that there are things in the Bible that people say, oh, that's in the Bible, and it's not. You know, the old, I think this one's been thoroughly debunked, but the old saying, you know, the Lord helps those who help themselves, and it was this really popular saying among, like, my grandparents' generation, but it's not in the Bible. And there are things that people say, oh, that's in the Bible, and it's not actually. There are things that people think are just kind of made up that are actually in the Bible. The Bible does talk about streets of gold. The Bible does actually talk about pearly gates. These are things that are actually in the scripture. Now, I have talked with people who have different opinions. Are there literal streets of gold? Is this just speaking of, um, you know, some splendor and the glory of God, but it's not actually literal? I don't see any reason for it not to be literal. Why would God bother to be so specific? He could have just said, if this was metaphorical, he could have said, "The, the city shone with the glory of God and its foundations and walls were of precious stones and gold and." Found, you know he could have, but he didn't. He was very specific and, and very uh, intentional, it seems, in what's being described. I think this means a couple of things. First of all, it shows the, the majesty of the city being created, but also. If gold's being used as a building material, I want to point this out. It shows the failing of human riches. There are things that people consider very precious and valuable. Um, and then perspective happens and you go, oh, it's not actually that big of a deal. Um, the, the, you know, how is it that you know, this is so important? This has to happen. And then God says, it's just my building materials. You think this is the end all and the be all, but I'm just using it for paving stones. So there's an equal picture of glory as much as there is of, hey, you think this is what riches is. Let me show you true riches. What does that look like? Well, in verse 22, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will be brought will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought to it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So what John is saying here is, what is the reward? It's the glory of God, to be in a place that is safe. The gates don't need to be shut. In the ancient times, you know, you'd know, you shut the city gates at night so no one could sneak in and rob and steal and cause trouble. You only had those who were supposed to be there. The gates don't ever need to shut. There is safety. Can you imagine being able to walk down any street in any place and have no concern? To be able to have children go this way and that way, and, and there's no concern. That's what's being described here. Safety, security, trust, no brokenness. It also describes the nations and and things happening outside of the city. It does make one wonder when we talk about purpose is that is in this time there going to be a a sort of a a creation of society as it was meant to be. And it's not just everybody hanging out in this one city, but, but God's building and designing. I'm very open to that idea. Verse one of chapter 22 says, then then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street in the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves, and the leaves, I'm sorry, I've lost my place here. Uh, And the leaves, um, of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We spoke last week and I mentioned this idea of eternal refreshing, endless endless first day of summer break. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus spoke at the beginning of chapter 21 about refreshing people from the springs of the water of life. Here there is this river pouring out and there's trees on the side of it and those who eat from the trees will be healed and refreshed. This was the, the idea in the original Garden of Eden, the tree of life, was that, was that they could live and they could flourish And be refreshed and restored, you won't be bored in eternity. Human beings can only think in in terms of like decay because we're living in that, right? We have a certain point where we're growing, we're expanding, and then we start to break down. And as our bodies get older, you know, aches and pains, and you know, you do something that when you were, you know, 10 years ago, that would have been fine, but now you take a little bit to recover and it just gets on and on and on. But imagine being re- renewed and refreshed and not emotionally drained and not emotionally broken down, but healed and restored. And there, in the presence of God, there will be healing. I think we, we undervalue this idea of, of healing and restoration. Does God do a healing work in people's lives today? Absolutely. Absolutely. God physically heals, so we pray for physical healing. God heals relationships, so we pray for restoration of the things that are broken. God restores broken minds and broken hearts and broken bodies, absolutely. But sometimes we walk with a limp. You know what? Sometimes there's a scar. And here is the restoration of all things. A world without the limp, a world without the, the chip on the shoulder, a world without the scars and the baggage that we bring with us. Then the angel said to me, verse six, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written on this scroll. I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard them and I'd seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who was showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. So John tried to do that a couple chapters ago, it happens again. I am your fellow servant, and with your fellow prophets and all who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. So even there, John is tempted towards idolatry. Remember, we said a minute ago that when Jesus was giving this sort of list, the murderers and the vile and the idolaters, it's not speaking of somebody who's doing a specific act. It's speaking of these general hallmarks, because here, John is giving himself to idolatry, and the angel's saying, hey, man, don't do that. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. So what the angel says to John is two things. First, he says, don't seal up the words of this scroll. And he's saying, John, you've been given this. You've been given this vision. You've been given this understanding. Don't hide it. Don't keep it hidden, don't keep it secret, get it out there. And so he does, he writes this down, he sends it to the seven churches, and the seven churches distribute it as they are able. The second thing he says is, let the one who is wrong continue to do wrong. When in the Bible has it ever said that? If you're sinning, keep sinning. That's not what he's saying. What the angel is saying, and and sometimes idioms, common phrases, you know, it's hard to translate. Like if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, what's up, dog? We'd all get what that means. We'd all understand. Even if it's out of date or nobody says that anymore, we'd all get what it meant. But imagine trying to translate that into German or Swahili or Mandarin. There are things that just don't make sense in one language to another. So some of these things are hard to translate. What's going on here is that the angel is trying to communicate this idea. When the time comes, you don't get to choose. If you are walking in rebellion to God and the time comes, whether you die, whether Jesus comes back, doesn't matter. There comes a point of no return. And if you are walking towards the holiness of God, then you will continue to do so. If you are walking in rebellion and rejection of God, then that's it. That's the choice you have chosen. There's no purgatory. There's no kind of waiting it out. There's no going to a lesser paradise. You either have accepted what Jesus has done and accomplished or you don't, and you make your choice. As we saw at the end of last week, you make your choice to go to the second death or you make your choice to accept the free gift of God, which is eternal life. Don't hide that. If you know the free gift of God, don't keep it hidden. If you've experienced the mercy of God, the grace of God, don't shy away from proclaiming it. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of your life because the time is near. Then Jesus says, look, verse 12, I am coming soon and my reward is with me and I am, will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. If you walk in rebellion, Jesus will give you the fruits of rebellion, the wages of sin, death. If you walk in faith, then in faith Jesus will reward you and me for whatever we have done that God has called us to do. God's called you to pray you will be rewarded God's called you to serve you will be rewarded God's called you to care you will be rewarded God's called you to forgive you will be rewarded that is the promise that Jesus is making blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and go through the gate of the city how do we do that we are washed it's It's cliche at this point because it's in all of these old songs that church people used to sing, but you're washed in the blood of the lamb, that Jesus has cleansed us, has made us new, and that is how we enter the city. But outside are the dogs, those who practice the magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. The bright and morning star, the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The spirit, that is God Himself speaking to all people. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God speaks to each and every person. Do I understand how this works? I do not claim to understand everything about this, but I believe, from what I understand from the scripture, that God. The Holy Spirit speaks to each and every person and says, consider Jesus, turn from your sin. What you're doing isn't working. What you're doing is actually wrong. And each and every person responds to that prodding from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, come, each and every person responds. And the bride, the people of God here on earth say, come. Come see Jesus. Come consider what God has done. Come and look on the lamb who was slain. That invitation is there. And the one who hears, that's you and me, are called to say, come. Once we hear and we respond, then we are called to say, come on in. Consider Jesus. Look at what's going on. Let the one who is thirsty, this is anyone who is thirsty, how are things working out? You tried this. Hey, you know what? I... I, on paper, this looked good. On paper, it seemed good to do whatever I wanted to do. On paper, it seemed good to, you know, look down the list here. Practice the magic arts. I'm going to look into spirituality. I'm going to try to be a very spiritual person and it's not working out. The immoral. Oh, I've tried to, I've tried to just fulfill and to satiate every human lust and desire and whatever I wanted to do. Don't kink shame me. I'm going to do my thing. How is that working out? You know, it's interesting when they do ACEs tests on kids. ACEs is a way to evaluate childhood trauma. And they'll do ACEs tests on different kids for different reasons. You know, maybe a social worker will, maybe a, a school employee will. But they'll do these ACEs scores. Divorce is an ACEs score. If you, if you are a child of divorce, if your parents got divorced, that is considered by professionals to be a traumatic childhood event. And yet our culture says, hey, just go out, seek your own happiness, do whatever. We don't think about the trauma. Oh, my kids will be okay. They'll, they're old enough. They can understand. You know, we still love them. And yet that is an, a, a traumatic event on the official like test for these sort of things for children. Uh, oh, it's, it's okay to just do whatever I want. I'm just going to go out and live my life. And then we see STDs are on the ride. There's this outbreak of gonorrhea going on right now. It doesn't work. I remember a friend of mine, like I, I'm so responsible. I get tested every, every week, you know, and, and I get my STD test. I make sure I'm good. And I was like, do you know, I've never had an STD test in my life. It's actually not true. I, I know that when you give blood, they do an STD test. So that's, but I've never had to go get one like for myself. Why? Because, you know what, I'm not perfect. I'll I'll be the first to tell you that. There's a reason my phone and my computers are locked down um, is, is because I have my own brokenness. But what I'm saying is by living in the ways of God, I never had to go get an STD test. If you say, oh, hey, idolatry, how is that working out for you? Oh, this person's the most amazing person, this cause, this movement. And then you see people failed after failure after failure. Idols let us down. Immorality lets us down. Uh, the, the spirituality lets us down. We are living in a world full of lies and falsehoods. Who do you trust? And what do we hear? We hear God saying, come on in. Come on in. Experience the free gift of God. And then we have this warning from God himself. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this scroll, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described on this scroll. If anyone takes away words from the prophecy of this scroll, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's John's words there, but I agree with them. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I'm going to do a uh, extra sermon extra video. Just watch for that on our podcast feed, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Facebook page, YouTube page. Um, watch for that. I'm going to do a sermon extra on what it means to add or take away from the words of this scroll. But I'll say this as we close. There is this invitation to come in, come into the new Jerusalem, come into the kingdom of God, come into the refreshing and the the new life that Jesus offers. If anyone hears these words, the invitation is, come on in. It's up to us to choose or to reject. And the person who adds to the words of this prophecy or takes away, in general terms, that's what cults do. They add something extra. Oh, Jesus is great, but you also need this extra thing oh, you know what, the Bible's great, but we're going to take away this thing that we don't like and then we're going to live according to our own ways and then pretend it's Jesus. That's the basic idea of what that's getting across. That as we hear these things, as God is speaking to us, as as this testimony has been offered, we accept or reject. That's the choice we make. We live in the ways of God through the power of his spirit, by the grace that he has given us, or we live in the ways of the world and our own self-desires, and it leads to death. Friend, the invitation is there, wherever you're at, to say yes to Jesus or to say no. And I pray that you say yes to him, wherever you are at right now, You say yes to him, and then you don't hide what God has done, but you take this prophecy of your life. Prophecy just means to speak the word of God. You take what God has done in your life, and you tell whoever and anyone and everyone that you can what Jesus has done. God bless you. We'll see you this week in the small groups. Uh, Check our podcast feeds for more content, and we'll see you next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. as we continue to study God's word together.